Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are covering this, uh, this kind of middle section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be picking up in verses 33 uh, and following today. And what a challenging section uh, this is. I mean, all of the Sermon on the Mount is challenging, if we're being honest with ourselves. But some of Jesus' hardest words to understand and apply come in this latter part of chapter 5. He's going through this whole discussion of the law. And really the Pharisees' misinterpretation Mm -hmm. of the law. And there's been six sections, or six topics, if you will, Um, In verses 21 and following, we talked about anger in the last episode, uh, 27 and following, lust, and then 31 and following, uh, divorce. Jesus, in this sermon, is not uh, pulling any punches. Uh, He's delving into the the hearts of people in a really challenging and powerful way. Yeah, and so one of the ways we've titled this section is, You Have Heard, But I Say. And so a lot of these sections will start off with Jesus saying, you have heard. And what he'll do is he'll give a quote from the Old Testament. Um, Sometimes it'll just be a quote from the Old Testament. Sometimes it's a quote from the Old Testament mixed with their interpretation of it or with some added language. We'll see some of that today. Such an important distinction to make. What is actually the Word of God and what's the stuff that we kind of add to it? Right. And so Jesus will say, you've heard this, but I say unto you, and he'll go on to explain. And it's not that he's trying to reset. It's not that he's trying to explain those Old Testament passages away. But what he goes on to do for us is explain their true fulfillment, um, which ultimately is through him and through his life. He stated that earlier before he even started this section, um, that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we've been seeing in his teaching, but we'll also see that in his life as well. Yeah. So be looking out for that today um, as we look at the three sections on O's, eye for an eye, and love and hatred. Uh, keep, keep an eye out for the quotes that Jesus will have there. Yeah, and I think it's these kind of things that Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, but I say to you, that when Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, they're going to be astonished because he's teaching them as one who had authority. I mean, if I ever get up and I'm preaching a sermon and I say, <laughs> you've heard it said, but I say to you, I mean, people are going to be like, who do you yeah. think you are? On what are? grounds uh, yeah. are you saying that? But Jesus has the authority. Well, let's read uh, the first of the, uh, I guess this is technically the fourth section of this. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right, so Jesus starts off in verse 33. Uh, You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Uh, where's that coming from, Stephen? It's it's not a direct quotation, but there are several passages in the Old Testament that have this idea in them. 
Uh, for instance, Leviticus 19 and verse 12 is one place we might look at. And again, this is actually kind of common uh, in the New Testament that sometimes they will quote, but not exactly from the Old Testament. So it shouldn't surprise us or alarm us when we see that. Yeah, so that's where it says, you shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God, I am Yahweh. Yeah, and so in the Old Testament, uh, there is not, uh, it never tells God's people that like you should swear, but it says carefully, do not swear if you're saying something that's false, and specifically, do not use God's precious holy name to say something that's false uh, or use it flippantly. Um, that is not what was God ever intended. Right. Um, which, of course, just that's the world we live in, is God's name is used all the time, uh, super flippantly, mm -hmm. and uh, we need to be really careful about that. But as he says this, I mean, Jesus is response is don't take an oath at all that's his language in verse 34 um and then he makes it a little more specific you know don't swear by heaven because that's god's throne uh don't swear by the earth that's god's footstool uh don't swear by jerusalem that's he's the great king of that mm -hmm. city um don't even swear by your own head you know, you can't make one hair white or black. Yeah, Stephen, you know that well, don't you? So uh, if, if you're listening, Stephen's got black hair, and he's got a couple whites in there, too. And that's, <laughs> But that's not your decision, right? That's not anything you can I, control. I cannot make yeah. one hair white or black. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's also cool to just kind of see the, the steps down that he's giving here um, as you go through that. So you've got heaven above, then, of course, you've got the earth. And then you got Jerusalem, and then you got your head. <laughs> like it just kind of gets keeps getting smaller and smaller as he goes through it. But his point is, you're not in control of any of those things. So why would you swear by God? Why would you swear by His name? Mm -hmm. um, you're not in control of Him. Yeah, and and really, I mean, the idea of an oath is probably ask that. Well, what what is an oath exactly? You're swearing by something. It's where you're wanting to confirm to someone else that I really, really, really am telling the truth. And you feel compelled to call on something greater than yourself to somehow use that as proof or as not exactly collateral, but like, as surely as this thing is true and good, that's how true my word is right now. Yeah. So a lot of common ways that's used is not only in the name of God, but, you know, I swear on my mother's grave and, you know, right. you have all these things. And Jesus' point here is, you know, as a follower of me and in this kingdom, you really shouldn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You should just be an honest person. Let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. Why Why do you need to call on God's name to convince somebody that you're telling the truth? In fact, what that uncovers is maybe a little bit of untruthfulness on your part. Right. A pattern of, of lying and deceit is the reason why you're having to invoke God's name as you do this. And so it's important that in this section and in all the sections, instead of trying to find this 100% true thing... Find the principle in it that will apply to different scenarios. And and I, there's tons of scenarios where this might apply. We, we're not going to have time nor the knowledge to go through every possibility um, where this might apply. Mm -hmm. But see the principle here. Right. Just be an honest person. And it's helpful also to see the backdrop of what was happening in Jesus' time with the Pharisees. Uh, he'll address the same kind of thing in Matthew 23. With, where he gives several different woes to the Pharisees and scribes. But one of them has to do with this kind of 
making it kind of ridiculous, like when you have to keep an oath and when you don't. In Matthew 23, uh, picking up in verse 16, uh, Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides, for you say, If someone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, oh, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? For whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So Jesus is saying, don't be looking for loopholes to deceive people and say, well, I made that oath, but it wasn't by one of the special things that we've decided is, is for real. No, all claims to truth go back to God himself. And we need to be people who are telling the truth whether or not, you know, we're invoking something greater. And just let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And so Jesus is just cutting straight through all of these silly rules that the Pharisees have made about when you can and can't, when you have to or don't have to tell the truth. Yeah, and what's really important to see in this one is that with all these, really, it manifests itself in every part of our life. So mm -hmm. in your home life, with your wife or with your husband or with your family, your, your family shouldn't have to pry the truth out of you. You shouldn't have to try and leverage something or swear by God's name to try and get people to, to believe you. Odds are, if that's the case, like we were saying earlier, there's a pattern of, of lying. There's a pattern of deceit, and that needs to be corrected. So it manifests itself at home. Guess what? At work, in the business place, man, there's a lot of deceit going on, a lot of dishonesty happening. And if you're a Christian that is in God's kingdom, but yet you're still in this kingdom having to work here on this earth, you still need to be honest. You still need to be truthful. Those are the values need to, you need to uphold, whether it's at work or whether it's at home, whether it's at church. It goes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know that lying and deceitfulness can really define someone after a time. Mm -hmm. And it can also get to the point where even when someone starts swearing like that, um, calling on something greater than themselves, they're still dishonest. <laughs> And it gets to the point that even when they're doing that, it's like, I still don't believe you. You've broken your word before. So it all goes back to just tell the truth. Um, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Have that reputation with your family and in the workplace, wherever you are. Kingdom citizens should be people of their word. Right. Now, I will say before we leave this section, sometimes the question comes up, well, does is Jesus's statement completely absolute? Um, there are several times in Scripture where there's a statement made in an absolute way, and then when we read the rest of Scripture, it turns out, well, there are some exceptions to that. And Jesus says here, in, a, in an absolute way, do not take an oath at all. And what's interesting about that is later in Scripture, we do see oaths taken uh, by God himself in Hebrews chapter 6, at the last part of that chapter, um, there's even an angel who swears uh, in, in Revelation 10. Uh, Jesus is kind of put under oath in Matthew 26. They say, I adjure you by God, you know, are you the Christ? And he answers in the affirmative. Um, but what's particularly striking is if you read the letters of Paul, there's a couple of statements in Paul's letters that seem to be oath language. Um, I mean, he doesn't use the words, I swear, 
But the idea of an oath is calling on God as your witness uh, to confirm that what you're saying is true. And there's several of these. Just I'll just read a couple of them. In 2 Corinthians 11, in verse 31, uh, Paul says, The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. So to confirm his word, he invokes the name of God and Jesus. You see the same thing in Galatians 1 when Paul is trying to lay out a timeline of what his ministry and apostleship looked like. He'll say, now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. So pretty strict language, very similar to what Jesus was was warning against. Right. And so there, there may be an argument to be made that... Yes, if there are some times where other people need more confirmation, it's not necessarily wrong to use oath language. But what Jesus is saying is you better not use oath language to get you off the hook of being honest yeah. when you're just saying yes or no. Yeah. He says you got to be truthful all the way down the board. And change your everyday language. Um, stop saying those things. Stop using God's name like that. Just be a truthful person. Uh, a friend of ours, we've quoted this book um, by Brother Paul Earnhardt. He says, each Christian must weigh this matter carefully, remembering that he is not compelled to swear, but that he is always compelled to speak the truth. I think that sums it up really well there. Yeah, amen. So let's go ahead and get into this next section. I'm going to read Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. All right. Jesus uh, calls on a famous passage all over the Old Testament, um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You can read it in Exodus 21-24 as one of the early times it's given. One thing that's really important to note about this principle of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is that it is given in kind of judicial context, that uh, like when someone comes, brings someone to court and they've done something wrong, the way that, the way that they take give punishment to that person is in proportion to what they did wrong. So like, you you know, you poked this guy's eye out, well, the judge is going to say, your eye is going to be poked out as well. Um, And uh, tooth for tooth, you know, you knocked his tooth out, well, you're going to lose one of your teeth. It's kind of the idea. Now, the problem that had arisen then, and the problem that arises now, is that people take that principle and apply it to personal judgment. Well, you poked my eye out, so I'm going to poke your eye out. And, and again, it, you may have heard the, the phrase that comes from this is if, if everyone takes an eye for an eye, the whole world goes blind. And that is true if we use this as a personal vengeance principle. But it never was a personal vengeance principle in the Old Testament. And Jesus is making that clear here that citizens of his kingdom are not to take personal vengeance. They're not to take that principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and just lash out at people who have hurt us. Yeah, this is a particular helpful section in today's generation. Um, Because, I mean, this is the way of the world, right? Like, if if someone does something against me, I'm going to give it back to them. 
and I'm going to do it tenfold. You know, it's just always upping the ante. And Jesus is turning that literally on its head here, saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way it's supposed to be at all. Um, He says, don't even resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Which is where we get the phrase, turn the other cheek. Yeah, that might be a phrase you've heard, and it's very common, um, even used in the world today. But the question is, is is that literal? Does Jesus literally mean if, if like, someone came over to my house and was upset with me and and smacked me on the face, am I supposed to turn the cheek so that they can get the other side too? It's like, is Jesus talking literal here? Or much like the other section, is there a more broader principle that he is trying to establish for his kingdom citizens? Yeah. And one of the things that's helpful about this section is to just see the way that Christ himself modeled this principle of not retaliating when you're being hurt. Um, most notably when he's being crucified and he goes like a lamb to the slaughter, Isaiah 53. There's also a passage in Isaiah 50 in verse 6 where it talks about him giving his cheek to those who pull out the beard, giving his back to those who strike. He did not hide his face from disgrace and spitting. That Jesus submits to the, the torture, the ridicule, humiliation that they're throwing at him when he's crucified. And of course, he's doing that for us. Yeah, that's the point Peter makes in 1 Peter 2. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Peter's whole point here is walk in his example. Look to him as your ultimate example as you think about how others treat you as well. And so the attitude and principle that we're talking about here, of course, is wanting to do good to others who don't do good to us. Mm-hmm. This principle of love, which we'll talk more about in the next one. Yeah. And another passage that I think helps kind of flesh some of this out is what Paul writes about in Romans 12, verse 14. Because all of this, the ability we have to turn the other cheek, and the ability that Jesus had to turn the other cheek, like we just read in First Peter, was because he was entrusting himself to God as the judge. Um, God is the one who can settle things with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, however God chooses to settle that. He is the judge. I am not the judge. And so, because I trust God to make things right in the end, I can... I can submit to ridicule and being hurt and not feel the need or the obligation to get my pound of flesh and to get back at that person. And I think maybe not revenge, but the want to see justice done is a natural thing within all of us. Mm -hmm. And the principle that we're about to read, and not only read here in Matthew 5, but read in Romans 14, is that, we need to let the Lord be the one that takes care of that. It's okay to have those feelings of, man, I want justice to be done. What they did is not right. There there should surely be punishment for wrongdoing. I mean, that's a very biblical idea in and of itself. And, but we got to go to the powers that be uh, to execute that amount of, of justice and judgment. Right. And of course that starts with God. Yeah. And let's read this from Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 14 through 21. Again, I think this just helps clarify some of this. Uh, Romans 12, 14 Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then especially here, look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so I just feel like that really helps talk about or helps us kind of work out in our own life. What does this look like to turn the other cheek? Uh, and another phrase that we get uh, from this is that go the extra mile, right? Uh, Jesus talks about the principle of if anyone forces you to go one mile, go within two. And uh, that goes back to historically what Roman soldiers were allowed to do um, is they could just kind of pick a passerby and say, hey, carry my stuff for a mile. And of course, when you're forced to do something like that, the tendency we have is I'll do the minimum. It's right. Like, I will do a mile and not a step more. Right. And Jesus is saying, you be someone who goes an extra mile for that person. Um, and think about the effect that, that would have yep. on that soldier who is used to people very begrudgingly, you know, okay, I gotta do this or you can punish me. But no, here, I'll, I'll carry it another mile. Wait, what? Why, why are you doing that? Right. Why, why what, are you being generous? What makes you different? Um, and what it does is it creates a scenario where you get to share about your king and your kingdom um, and tell about Jesus. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that goes along with, with the last one there in verse 42. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You know, when, when you're someone that's an eager person to help and give and, and to lend to somebody or, or let someone borrow something, it speaks volumes about your king. Um, think about all that the Lord has given us mm-hmm. so richly. Yeah, and all of this really spills right over into the last section. These last two um, topics that Jesus brings up are closely tied together. So let's let's do read the last bit here. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." All right, so verse 43 um, starts off from a quote, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Half of that is definitely 100% biblical. Can you guess which half is not? (laughs) Uh, Of course, you shall love your neighbor. Um, This is something Jesus, he will use a lot in his preaching, won't he, Stephen? It's the second greatest commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Yes, the hate your enemy part on the other hand, is an added addendum? Is that the right word? Yeah, it's the added section to this verse that, that's not really there. Um, and of course, Jesus is addressing that here. That's ridiculous. That was never the intent of the law in the first place. Um, in fact, if you go back and read the old law, some of the chapters in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy, 
it actually outlines a loving community, a group of people who are looking out for one another and, and certainly loving one another. And that carries over into the new covenant as well. Yeah. And again, these, these commands that Jesus is giving at the end here um, to no, don't retaliate, you know, turn the other cheek, to love your enemies, so much easier said than done. I mean, oh, we can absolutely. talk about it on a podcast, but when we're living these out, this is challenging. Uh, to love them, uh, to pray for them specifically, uh, pray for those who persecute yeah. you. Yeah. And, you know, I, it makes me think about uh, the conversion of Saul or Paul in the book of Acts. And to think about if Jesus' people were following what this said, and once Paul turned and came to the church in Jerusalem or wherever he went, how many Christians would say, Paul, I'm so grateful that this day came. I've been praying for you right. for a long time. Because they followed what Jesus said. Right. And were praying for him who was persecuting them. And how powerful that would have been for Paul to think, you know, even when I was an enemy, um, these people were praying for me. And um, it's just powerful to think about these words of Jesus uh, as they would have been lived out yeah. and still need to be. And it can be challenging, um, but it is something that's necessary for us to do. And I even think about some people that I don't get along with or that I don't know if I would regard them as an enemy. Enemy feels like such a strong word. Um mm. As I think through my day-to-day life and the different interactions I have with people, there are people I don't get along with. There are some people I just simply don't respect, but I have to spend time with them. And it almost becomes a bit of a challenge, but I don't want to call it fun, but it makes you get creative on how you can think of being nice to them, you know, to show them the love of Christ. And and that's okay. You know, it's okay to get creative as we think about how to be good to them. And uh, But it, it's got to be a deliberate choice. And Love is a deliberate choice. Um, it, it, it always is. And so that's what Jesus is calling on us to do. But what, what I specifically love, and he does this with some of these, but not for all of these, he gives us a bit of a, a reason why we mm-hmm. need to be this way. And the reason he gives in verse 45 is that so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Mm-hmm. He invokes the fact that we are children of God, and this is how the Father acts. Like he's father, good. Like son. Exactly. He's good to those who are good to him, but he's also good to those who are evil. He gives rain to all. And that's humbling to think about, because if, if God only gave us sun and rain when we were being good, uh, we'd all be dead. Yep, of course. <laughs> like we're... Um, God is so generous to people who are his enemies. And that's been us, all of us at some point. And God still lets us get up in the morning, gives us food to eat, clothes to wear. I mean, like, he is good to the just and the unjust. And that is, uh, just on a personal level, humbling to think about. And that is the motivation for loving people who are currently our enemies. And saying, I want to be like God. God has been generous to me. When I was in that state, and now I want to do the same for others. This is the same with forgiveness. We talked about this with blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy in the parable that Jesus told of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. That the motivation for my forgiveness of others is God's forgiveness to me. And the same thing here with loving our enemies is God loved me. I mean, you think about Romans 5, right? While we were still enemies, while we were weak, while we were helpless, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the model. Is he saying you 
if you want to be a son of God, a son or daughter of the king, you need to act like the king acted. And how he, how he continues to act. He continues to give us good things, even when we're in rebellion against him. Yeah, and I, there's probably a reason why on the final one in this section, it, it's kind of here that it uses God as the example as our father. Because all of these, all six that we've went through in this section are true of God. And this principle of, I want to be like my dad. And I, I, I don't mean that in a irreverent way, but just the, the worldly sense of, I want to be like my dad. You know, as I think about my earthly father, um, I remember my, my dad, he works at a lumber company and all growing up, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to manage a lumber company because that's what my dad did. I just wanted to be just like him. That's how we are to see our heavenly father. That's how we're, we're to act it out um, in our lives is to follow all of these things because they're ultimately true of the father, God. And Jesus makes the point that if you are actually following the the addition part, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, that is exactly what everybody else does. Yep. Um, that's what the tax collectors do, the Gentiles. Jesus will also often use the uh, tax collectors and sinners or tax collectors and Gentiles to talk about just kind of the the typical worst type of person mm-hmm. in their culture. I'm not to say that all tax collectors were terrible, but just he's using this in ways they would understand. True. Say like, these people are known for cheating people. And like, even they love the people that love them. You know, if you scratch my back, I scratch yours. That's the way the world works. That's the way it worked then. It's the way it works now. He says, you've got to rise above that. you got to stand out by loving people who are acting hatefully toward you. Love your enemies. And that will make you... Not a son of this world, but a son of God. Like that, It's going to stand out to people when you are acting differently than the way that everybody else is acting. You know, I really like this one um, because it's going to be true of a lot of the teaching of Jesus. Uh, Jesus will actually do this with his 12 disciples, in fact. And he'll get them to, to look out at the world and say, you see how these Gentiles rulers act? Yeah, how they like to lord it over others that they're in charge it can't be this way among you. Jesus loves to point to the outside of his kingdom and say, none of that can be happening inside this kingdom. Mm-hmm. Don't act like them. Um, you need to be different. You need to be set apart. Holy is the word we're talking about there. Pure, clean. Yeah. That's what his expectation for us is. And that really segues well into verse 48. You are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, Word perfect, there's kind of another way to look at that in there, Steve. Yeah, it can sound impossible. It's like, well, God is perfect. There's no way to be perfect. The word perfect can also mean complete or mature. I mean, that's still an incredibly high calling, but the Lord knows that we're not going to be perfect in the sense that like, we're never going to stumble in this. We're never going to sin. But the idea is that our goal is to make our character like the character of our Father. Just like God is complete and perfect in these things, that's what we need to be. And if we ever do what they were doing and say, well, I'll love my neighbor and I'll hate my enemy. It's like, no, like that, that's not the character of your father. You need to raise your standard to the standard of his character, of who God is. And that really is a great way to wrap up all of these six sections mm-hmm. is to think, I need to act like God and not make up some silly rules or try to explain away the way that God treats me uh, or minimize that or, or try to explain away these statements of Jesus. Um, he has just given some powerful principles and some powerful rules and say, this is how you need to live. And any anyone who's honest 
it comes to this section and tries to think, well, does he does he really mean this or that? And like, we just got to say, no, like, if God has done this for me, yeah. then I've got to be like my father yeah. if I really want to be part of this kingdom. Yeah, true. the true test is, like Stephen just said, if you're tempted to say, does he really mean this? Just ask, did God do that for you? Guess what the answer is? If the answer is yes, then yes, that's what you need to do. We need to mimic the father. Um, and so th- this will kind of wrap up this particular section. Lord willing, next week, we're going to get into chapter 6. And at least the way I like to see this next section, um, that it'll go somewhat into chapter 7, is now we're a part of this kingdom of God. How do we interact in the kingdoms of man while being in the kingdom of God? How are we set apart? How are we different? And I guess that discussion will kind of be continued as we go throughout this next section. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening today. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a subscription or subscribe, uh, rate, review, um, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, 717-585-0949 or reach us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more information, capitalcitychristians.com. Thank you all so much for listening.